welcome to the seventh episode of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. And we're here to guide you through all things information technology related and talk a little bit about courses that are offered at Mount West Community College. Today, this is actually being recorded during week 10 of MCTC's uh, spring semester. So next week is going to be spring break for us, but I have a couple of updates here I want to throw out for our students. This will actually probably be released uh, on March 14th or 15th, something to be very mindful of. I think we've said it on at least three of the previous podcasts, but Friday, March 16th will be the last day that you can drop an individual course. If you don't drop that course, you'll be forced to drop the entire semester after this coming Friday. Also, Friday is the last day you can apply for spring graduation. Those are all ones we've heard about. Next week, starting the 17th, is spring break. Josh and I will be taking a week off from doing the (laughs) Talk on Tech podcast to go ahead and enjoy our week of spring break, which will not be long enough. Summer can't get here soon enough. But also, just around the corner from spring break, I want to point out that after the 17th through 25th, the next Monday, Monday that classes resume, is March 16th, or sorry, March 26th. March 26th is a special day because it starts advanced registration for summer classes. Uh, we are in transition to our new building, which will be on the top of 5th Street Hill in the old Arch Cole building, but we are still having summer classes, the majority of which are going to be web-based. And so 8 a.m., Monday, March 26th, we'll start the first day of advanced registration. That's for students who are currently enrolled here at Mount West. Now, if you do not register within that time period, you have to realize that the following Monday, April 2nd, will be when readmitted students or brand new students are going to be able to come here and start classes. So normally the idea is since you're already enrolled at Mount West, you'll have a couple of days as kind of a privileged time for you to be able to get the best spots in the classes. And then after that first week, it's opened up to everybody. So be aware if you need to get registered for summer classes, you're going to need to get on it and make sure you check on our website to see which classes are available and get in them before they do fill up. That's basically the end of the announcements that I have, though, so just keep in mind the 26th advanced registration, the 2nd of April. It's going to be when everybody can do it. And, of course, those summer classes will be here before you know it, um, probably around March or May 15th or so is when those will start. So be signing up for those, be mindful of those, and remember those. Josh and I have a lot of articles we want to talk about today. Uh, Most of them are kind of like small updates to to some things. And so I'm going to go ahead and leave this off today with the first one being yet another story about CompTIA. Um, Last week we talked about CompTIA's CASP, the Advanced Security Practitioner. This week we talk about the fact that CompTIA traditionally used to allow you to test at both a Prometric testing center and a VIEW testing center. Well, an email has gone out and information has started to trickle out to the fact that CompTIA is now going to be doing testing with a single vendor. They are going to be delivering exclusive content with Pearson VIEW effective July 9th, 2012. So this midsummer. 
you're going to have to be taking all your CompTIA tests at a view testing center. What does this mean? Well, this means anybody who's gone ahead and purchased themselves a Prometric voucher, if you've purchased a testing voucher from some online company, they're going to have to go ahead and be used very, very soon. Actually, May 4th is going to be the last day you could buy a voucher from Prometric, and you would have to test with that voucher by July 8th at this point. So maybe I just suggest you don't go ahead and buy yourself a voucher because normally they last for a full year. And at this point, that's definitely not going to last you a year. It's going to last you a little bit more than two to three months wow. at this particular point. So be aware they're moving around. So just to reemphasize, Microsoft has gone Prometric only. Traditionally, Cisco had gone View only. And now CompTIA has also picked a side with going strictly View. Okay. So, yep. All right. Well, I got a little um, update on story we've been talking about with Apple and their battle with the Chinese court. Mm-hmm. Um, so just refresh on what it is. Apple Incorporated is in several legal battles with Proview Electronics Company, which the U.S. company says sold it the rights to the iPad trademark in 10 different countries, including China, in 2009. Um, Apple contends that Proview has refused to honor the agreement and has not indicated any willingness to settle with Proview, a maker of computer monitors and LED lights. Um, so this is a company in China that has continued, according to Apple, has continued to um, not honor their not purchasing. honor their purchasing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, their whole story was basically um, a third party was c- brought in to buy it mm-hmm. at a extremely bottom dollar yeah, price. Yeah, the, the name of the company, if you looked at its initials, it basically spelled out iPad. Yeah, I don't remember the exact name of the company before, but it was mm-hmm. like Intellectual Property Application Developers or yeah, something like something, that. Something, and apparently it's a common thing that happens. Mm-hmm. The, you know, a big company will hire a small company and say, go buy this for mm-hmm. us. And apparently it was bottom dollar, super cheap, and then right. obviously we know how, how much that kind of stuff's worth now. Um, and so they started their court hearings on the 28th of February. Yeah, our last episode we last said they were going to go back were, to court on the 28th. Um, and the only thing we know is they kind of had some opening statements, and they the court adjourned with the date for any further hearings to be announced later. So they haven't said when they're going to come back, wow, but they've okay. kind of made their opening, opening arguments, opening ar- arguments and stuff. And they apparently Proview's lawyer has said that they are open to settling with Apple, but they're regarding the whole trademark of the iPad itself mm-hmm. is non-negotiable. They're saying they want. Um, the trademark rights. They want those trademark rights. They're saying that because they br- had that third com- third party company come in, um, uh, you know, I don't. They I don't, don't see how. I don't see how on one side, at one side of your mouth, you can say you'll settle with Apple mm-hmm. when the whole dispute is over the trademark. Over the trademark. It says. Um, it, then they say, however, if Apple wants to legally obtain permission to use the trademark or to own the trademark by legal transfer. And it could provide a basket of proposals on settling the case outside of course. We would not refuse it. So that's what they're talking about with a settlement possibility. But I I think it's because they're wanting, um, you know, those large, large, large millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, well, actually, I think it was like $2 billion that they ended up wanting. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was $2 billion. And originally it was $55,000. Yeah, for this this company. Yeah. Yeah, the okay. purchase company, it was, you're right, it was called IP Application Development L- uh, Limited or LTD or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, 
and they did not say that they were they were acting on Apple's behalf. So they they feel that they were misled in selling it to that company for that such a low price. Right. Well, so. as we spoke about before, it's not like Apple's going to go out there and brag about the fact they want to buy some company because if someone puts together the name iPad, it's going to kind of give you an idea. It's going to clue you into what we're talking about, uh, especially when they already have iPod and iPhone. Yeah. So I, I don't think Apple is trying to do anything necessarily shady other than trying to be secretive like they always do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so so hopefully we eventually get more on that court date. We just knew that the court date was going to be very timely to when we were recording. Yeah. And so we wanted to go ahead and give you all an Definitely. update on that. Definitely. Now, speaking about the iPad trademark, uh, just last week a little something something got released or got talked about, which is Apple unveiled the brand new iPad. Not called iPad 3. I know last time we <laughs> talked about... What it was, what it was gonna. We didn't even talk about what it was gonna be called. We just no. called it iPad Three. That's um, what the public did. We I had did. a wish list. Josh had a wish list. My wish list did get fulfilled. They do have a 4G multi-carrier uh, ability built in, so it'll be 4G LTE. And then if you can't pull that off, then you'll go ahead and default back to 3G, which probably around here, around West Virginia, that's probably what's going to happen for quite a while until mm-hmm. we get our infrastructure built up. But they added in the Retina display, uh, which they already had previously in the iPhone 4. Um, I, I think it was in the 4 and the 4S, but I know it was at least in the 4S. Yep. So based on the Retina display, <clears throat> they go ahead and talk about the fact that the screen is going to be 2048 by 1536 and that's actually larger than an HD TV display is so your 70 inch TV you may have in your living room there's going to be more pixels on your uh, 9 by 9.7 inch <laughs> screen on your iPad that you have that's that's going to be there and so the reason they call it retina display it's not all it's not all hokey talk they say there's actually um, a mathematical equation behind it it really means that when you hold the iPad at the normal reading level, which they feel is 12 to 15 inches from your face, there'll be so many pixels, more than 300 dots per inch basically in front of your face, that your retina will not be able to distinguish the individual pixels. And so the idea is it should look so good it just looks real. It doesn't look like a screen Mm. is their idea. They threw in a new quad-core processor because when you have a insanely large screen, you're going to have to have a better graphics processor to go ahead and power that. So it now has a quad-core processor built inside of it. Um, that's going to—you'd think that would affect the battery. They're saying the battery times are going to be the same. Uh, I guess the biggest thing that that I found very, very interesting about the new iPad was the fact that they talked about it, and it's going to be released the very next week. Yeah. So by the time this actually comes out on, on Wednesday, probably, um, the day, that's going to be the day that they're actually going to start coming out. So they'll already be out when this yeah, episode. Yeah, they ship, they ship Wednesday? Yeah, they, yeah, ship, they ship Wednesday. Wednesday. But okay. I mean, I also imagine that places like Verizon and uh, AT&T will already have them in store on Wednesday. So that's pretty amazing because usually... When they, when they say they're going to have a new product, it's usually a month out, two months out. Mm-hmm. And a funny thing to, to bring up about your, your China incident, usually they talk about how when they bring out the new iPod, iPad, or iPhone, they're always like, well, we're going to release in these countries 
in in uh-huh. a week, and then these countries in a couple months later. Yeah, yeah. And I I did pay very close attention to the fact that China was not on either of the lists. So when you saw all the companies they were releasing on, even mm-hmm. a month from now, China China's was not, not listed. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, I remember that. Of course, that's that having to do with you know they got their. Um, Factors over there that people are throwing a fit about. Right. Um, there has been a bunch of pictures released where authorities were confiscating boxes of what were seemed to be iPads and stuff. Mm. So I think it's been a um, an ongoing process to to prevent that because even people in China were calling for them not to sell them. They were telling the Chinese people, "Don't right. sell these products. Look mm-hmm. what they're doing to your people." Right. So um, you know, we'll see what goes on with that. Well, the other nice little thing they have built in there, which I thought was going to just kind of be pushed to the wayside because in the iPhone 4, it got pushed to the wayside at first, uh-huh. was they had tethering that they talked about. You, you were going to be able to make your new iPad be a hotspot. And back when that came out in the iPhone 4, AT&T scoffed at it, and then eventually yeah. they started charging for it. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a news story that came out talking about the fact that Verizon is going to be offering free tethering on iPad 4G plans. And so it does seem the the Verizon plan that I currently have, because I'm not a big data, data person myself, mm-hmm. the one gig per month $20 plan still seems to be around although although at one point i think they took it away so maybe it came back with consumer demand but verizon's not going to charge you extra to tether or use your ipad as a hotspot basically for your other devices at&t has not quite said anything but i think maybe you'd know josh because i know you have an iphone 4s through Mm at&t um do you know what they charge extra for tethering if you want it um i think it depends on the amount of, of bandwidth, of you, bandwidth buy. you buy. I, know, I mean, I, I know think there's two tiers of it. I know the big deal was originally you were able to get unlimited data through AT&T, and when tethering came along, if you wanted to do tethering, you were going to be required to go ahead and lower down mm-hmm. to an actual tiered system. Yeah, you couldn't. You could no longer use the unlimited. Right. So, which okay. is uh, that's kind of what I, I grandfathered into the unlimited, and I haven't changed it, but I don't right. tether or anything like that either. So. Right. Well, I, I mean, I think anything with that. I can understand why they would be scared of you having unlimited data and then tethering. Mm-hmm. But where I'm on a plan, I'm on a one gig plan. Yeah. Whether I burn through that faster in a month or not on tethering, I guess Verizon's like, have at it. If he burns through a gig, he'll have to pay us even for more information. So, yeah, true. So their idea is go ahead and tether. Maybe you'll use more data that way That's, and we'll get to get more money from you. I could definitely see that. That that logic behind that kind of makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so along with, we're talking about the iPad 3 and the different things like that. Right. They released the new iOS 5.1 update for mm-hmm. current um, iPhones, iPads, um, of the like. Um, just some things that are updated um japanese language support for siri available availability may be limited during initial rollout now um my fiance has tested this mm-hmm. the japanese siri works amazingly well here she is having conversations with siri in japanese and i have no idea what they're saying but it works flawlessly <laughs> like it's amazing Apparently, i don't know what she's saying she could be talking about yeah, me you're, but, you're taking you know, her word that it's I'm just, working i just assume that it is because it sounds like it to me right um Photos can now be deleted from Photo Stream. Now, that was a big issue when they first released 5.0. A lot of people were 
um, if you didn't turn off your photo stream connection, right. what was happening was you could take pictures with your phone, mm-hmm. and it was uploading to this photo stream, a, a cl- cloud-type um, service, service. Right. and um, you weren't able to delete them from to delete them from that. You had to go, I think you had to go online and do something else to delete them. Because I know I took like four or five right off the bat when I was testing out some stuff, testing out the, testing out the camera. And they went to this photo stream, and I don't want those on there. And you had to, like, turn it off and do something else to get those removed when now they've got it to where you can just delete them straight from that. So you're um, saying even service. if I took a picture with my iPad mm-hmm. and it got uploaded to the cloud uh-huh. and I delete it from the iPad, mm-hmm. it would it would have still been it up on the photo stream. It was still being up on the photo stream because you can get to your photo stream from your device, mm-hmm. and they were staying up there. They weren't. You were, there was oh, no okay. delete. There wasn't holding. You know, you couldn't hold anything in and delete it. Um Something else, a camera shortcut now always visible on the lock screen for the iPhone 4S, iPhone 4, iPhone 3GS, and iPod Touch 4th generation. Now, you'll have to explain um, that one to me because I, I don't have that luxury on my iPad. Now, what that is is basically when you when your phone is locked, when it's off, mm-hmm. um, basically what it does is next to the slide to unlock, mm-hmm. there's a little picture of a camera. Now, what they had for a while was a push button there. It was... There was a push button that you could do, but it was in a different spot. Okay. When, and you had to hit a certain key or something to get it up. Well, now that's always visible, and you can um, you can just slide your camera up, slide that up like you would be you, scrolling through. You take through. your finger like you're sliding mm-hmm. the page vertically as opposed to horizontally. Exactly, and it will slide up. Your phone will technically still be locked. Right. And then you can, sl- after you've taken your pictures or pictures, you can slide it back down and it's back to the lock screen. Okay. I knew previously they allowed you to take a picture without it being locked. Yeah. I just thought there was some sort of icon you had to hit down there to then go to that screen or something. Yeah, I just didn't use it very much because usually if I was taking pictures, I was already logged in, that kind of thing. But this is really handy because it's a quick way to get to it because a lot of times people want a quick picture. Right. And they're like, i got to go through all, you know, you got to go through locking it, unlocking it, doing all that. Well, now you can just hit your button. It shows your lock screen with your date and time and your battery life, and you can flip it up with your thumb, just like you're flipping through pages, and there's your camera. Well, I still never figured out why they didn't put that on the iPad, because the iPad 2 and, mm-hmm. and further on have cameras, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, they've got the photo button, but that's right. that's all they've got. So, yeah. um, Oh, camera face detection now highlights all detected faces. So they've added uh, that feature in there. So when the grid okay. shows up mm-hmm. and it starts locking in on, you know, different things to focus on, apparently right. it can detect more faces or all the faces. Okay. Uh, redesigned camera app for the iPad. So the actual app itself, now if you look at it, it is a little bit different, some visual stuff, nothing too crazy. Um, genius mixes and genius playlist for iTunes match subscribers. I don't subscribe to iTunes match, so I don't have any experience with that. That's just I don't a paid either. service that... Basically, the idea want. is if, if you have MP3s that you've acquired maybe through un, some other means, they could be legal means or illegal means, the idea is you pay for that service and they'll mm-hmm. go ahead and, and they'll match, let's say, the Bruce Springsteen song you have on your computer. It, they'll put it up on, they'll use the one from theirs on the cloud so you can yeah, go ahead and yeah, not have to upload them. It's base, and it can, and the biggest thing I think that people were surprised about was it can give you the higher quality versions of the songs and stuff too. From, from Although them. I did hear that it did censor songs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they didn't tell people that, but it was giving people the edited versions mm-hmm. of um, of songs. So. But I haven't heard anything else about that song. If they've yeah, I mean, they changed maybe, maybe or not, they maybe they it. fixed that. Yeah. 
um, audio for TV shows and movies on iPad optimized to sound louder and clearer. Now, what that's talking about is your when you're actually watching your TV shows through um, your your I guess your iTunes, iTunes yes, yeah. like your iTunes downloads and your mm-hmm. movies downloads. It makes that louder. But I've noticed things like Netflix and other things like that that I use. Right. They don't seem any louder or anything, so they haven't fixed mm-hmm. anything there. But apparently, the TV shows and the movies, if you're using them through their iTunes, it works. Um, podcast controls for playbacks speed and a 30 second rewind for the iPad. Now you <laughs> this was something that you immediately had complained about. Yeah. With the update, the first update. Originally, yeah, originally on on your iPad. I am a big podcast person. Go figure. <laughs> but um there was a little button where you could have the audio you were listening to play at twice twice the speed and they didn't sound like chipmunks. They sounded they sounded okay actually. But um, that was there. The thing I really complained about is there was a little 30-second rewind button you could hit. And I usually listen to my my iPad when I'm driving around. I've got an FM transmitter. And so I'll go ahead and hook the iPad up to where it plays through the stereo in my car. If I get a phone call or I have to go through a drive-thru or something like that, it can be a pain in the butt to get the podcast paused in time. And so you may have missed something, and having that little button was always nice to rewind 30 seconds and re-listen to what was said. Or maybe you just had a, what did they just say type moment, and you want to rewind. And so it was nice to see that back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, couple more things. The mm-hmm. updated, updated AT&T network indicator. I'll come back to that in just a second. got a whole okay. store on that. <laughs> okay. Um, and then the last two things, it, is, it addresses bugs affecting battery life. Um, which mine's st- I'm still having issues with battery life. I'm taking it to an Apple store next week to have them check it out to see what the issue is. Um, apparently it's not a software thing. I don't know if that's hardware or what. And then it fixes an issue that occasionally caused audio to drop for outgoing calls. Hmm. So, which is something else I, n- I never had to um, deal with. But th- let's go back to the updated AT&T network indicator. One of the first things I noticed when I updated my phone um, was it changed the AT&T 3G logo to what was what is an AT&T 4G logo. Um, and that's what you see in the upper left-hand that's corner? That's what you see right. in the upper left-hand corner when you see your little, um, uh, like your status bars to see what kind of... Um, how much signal how much you're signal, getting. Yeah, the signal that right. you're getting. That's how much signal you're getting, how many bars of service you're getting. Right. And this is AT&T or... Or Verizon. Verizon or whatever. Right. Well, AT&T, this one is only affecting them. AT&T updated their... Logo from a 3G to a 4G. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's caused a lot of confusion. Um, along with me, I'm I'm pretty tech savvy with a lot of this stuff. Right. I saw that update and I'm like, what does this mean? Does this mean we have 4G speed around here? What is what is this all about? I didn't notice any speed difference at all. Um, right. I tried different things, didn't notice anything. So I'm like, well, maybe they just changed it. Maybe they're prepping for the future. Well, they've had to come out now and. Apparently, this is throwing a lot of people off, which is very confusing. It makes it seem like it is a 4G-type device. Right. Um, so what they're coming out and which saying... technically, it is a 4G Technically, type. yes. It technically is a 4G AT&T device. But not an LTE. But not an LTE. Now, what this is saying, what, what they're coming out and saying is owners of the AT&T iPhone will notice no difference in performance or data transfer speeds. The device will not magically connect to AT&T's shiny new 4G 
LTE network. <laughs> it will simply receive a deceptive labeling change that allows AT&T to market the iPhone as a 4G device against competitive phones from Verizon, including perhaps most importantly Verizon's own 3G, 4, 3G iPhone 4S. Um, but basically, it's it's just marketing. It basically is... The problem is is the definition of what we're calling 4G uh-huh. and what actually is 4G. Um, and this came out kind of a... It's been a couple years. I think Sprint was the first one they were saying they were the first 4G network. Right. What that meant was not that they are 4G speeds. They're actually still some of the slowest speeds, um, according to this um, article that I'm reading here still. Um, but it's the way that they're labeling it. And if you uh, reading on down through here, it says... Right. Um, it says, AT&T spokesperson responded that the use of the 4G icon is essentially the same as many other current AT&T smartphones, which I didn't know that other ones did that. Hmm. Um, the issue is that the definition of a 4G cellular connection has basically become anything that's faster than 3G here in the U.S. Right. Um, basically, and then what they're saying is what um, the 3G, 4G, um, when they're calling it 4G, it's supposed to be slightly more than than three, about three point five at most, um, right now. But they're it's just the way they're labeling it. It's well, all of their marketing. It's a bandwidth thing. Yes. And you know one of one of the big marketing things that we that we've seen a lot between Verizon and AT and T is that AT and T would say, oh well, we're GSM, and since we're GSM, you can go online and look things up and also talk on the phone that actually takes more data throughput to be able yep. to pull that off. And so Verizon couldn't do that because they were CDMA, TDMA. That's kind yeah. of the older area there. But but it was the point that Verizon is, st- if you want to still call Verizon 3G, AT&T has to have a little bit faster service to be able to le- allow you to surf the web and talk on the phone. So technically, they are higher than 3. But the kicker is, you don't want to know if it's a 4G phone. You want to know if it uses LTE. Mm-hmm. And I know when I watched the Apple keynote, they showed up on the screen all the different all the different bit rates that mm-hmm. were that were possible and all the throughputs that all the ones had. And LTE was ridiculously high as opposed to them. So then I got yeah. a quick education to find out if I want a phone, I don't need to ask is it 4G. I need to ask if it has LTE, LTE. which yep. the new iPad did have. Yep. And it's saying in simple terms, basically. Um, your iPhone has been offered uh, through AT&T. Your iPhone has been offered as 4G since day one. It's basically just a matter of them labeling it as a 4G phone. So that's again, you know, the the bit rates and stuff. So, um, and I think that's all the updates on the. Um, well, I want to iOS 5.1. I want to fill in one thing you said. I think you mentioned there on the uh, iOS. Uh, 5.1 update that they talked about new camera controls either uh-huh. for both devices or at least for iPad. Uh, yeah, what for I the noticed, iPad. yeah, what yeah. I noticed on the iPad is it used to be when I would turn on my iPad and I would go to use my camera in the center of the of the screen, whichever whether I had a landscape or portrait at the bottom center of the screen is where they had the record button uh-huh. and. You know, I feel I have thumbs that are probably as long as most people. Yeah. But still, when you're holding that and it's, it's as wide as a sheet of paper, or if you do it landscape and it's almost nine inches long, you can't get your thumb to hit the center. <laughs> so people were having to awkwardly hold this device to go ahead and start recording. And I'm sure it would lead to weird camera shake type stuff. 
So what they've done now is they make the record button float on the right-hand side of the screen in the center. And that's pretty good because if you hold it up like a sheet of paper, it's right by your thumb. It's, it's a mere half an inch from your thumb. And if you go landscape, it's still a mere half an inch from your right-hand thumb. The only thing you had to worry about then is that when you're holding a landscape, you don't want to put your hand over the actual lens that's recording when you do that. But I have found that very, very nice. And I was very, very happy to have my 30-second rewind button on there as well. So another thing they mentioned, and I just want to throw out there for everybody, we're, we're really not trying to make it an Apple Apple week, but trust me, a lot, a lot was announced for Apple. So um, iPhoto. They've now moved iPhoto over to um, to iOS. Anybody who doesn't have a Mac who's not really familiar with what iPhoto is, it is the program that on Mac, when you decide to sync your iPod, your i uh, your iPhone, your iPad, any of those things up, your pictures automatically come down into iPhoto. So you could think of it as like Picasa or Adobe Bridge. It's a program that allows you to keep your your pictures all together and you can go in and do some simple editing well just like they've already moved iMovie over to our iOS devices and then they had previously moved that one over in GarageBand they've also gone so far now as to move over iPhoto and the thing that I like about this is more that I come at this from a uh, photographer side mm -hmm. if, if we go out um, me and my partner in the company decide to go out and we take pictures out and about maybe we do senior pictures maybe we do wedding pictures a lot of times when we're leaving um, the location we did the pictures the client will look back at our SLR and we'll see our pictures but we're seeing them on ridiculously small screens and we may have to go out to eat or may go someplace else but sometimes you want to get started right away on looking at those pictures from what I saw very very promising what iPhoto delivers on iOS uh, for $4.99, you can get this. You can immediately use the camera connector device to go ahead and download all the pictures that you've taken on your SLR onto your iPad. You'll be able to see them on the full screen of your iPad. You'll be able to go ahead and start weeding out the ones you want, the favorites you like. And then they have an awful lot of presets built in there where you can adjust your levels, where you can turn on sepia, where you can turn on saturation. There's a lot of things built inside of there that's non-destructive to your picture that you can go ahead and get started with. Um, Apple has their own competing product against Adobe Lightroom, which they call Apple Aperture. Uh, but you could go ahead and use that once you bring them down. I just found it neat, the level of customization. I mean, they go so far that when you go ahead and make your picture be black and white, you can choose the actual color filter you use on the black and white. And I know that a lot of people may not know what I'm talking about there, but it's all about the contrast filter to go ahead and, and decide which colors are going to pop and be uh, different colors, much like an infrared image would be. So I was pretty impressed for a $5 app, yeah. the amount of amount of detail and things that it could actually do for you. So um, I'm, I'm considering getting a new one. I don't know. Uh, they did update the camera, too. I guess we didn't mention that. They updated the dinky... Uh, less than one megapixel camera that ours have now to a five megapixel so that's a bit better the video is now going to not be just 720 video but it's going to be 1080 video so that's pretty decent um, still five megapixel I would like to have more 
but I understand it's an all-in-one device. If I mm. want that, I'll carry on my SLR. Mm. So, yeah, I found that very, very cool, though. Yeah. yeah. And another article I want to talk about, which I'm, I'm afraid you're going to squash here in a second, <laughs> is good old Valve. We've talked about Valve on this podcast several times. Uh, they're the company who made such hit games as Half-Life, Portal, Team Fortress. They're a very large company that has their own online electronic distribution system called Steam. And we talked about Steam being hacked previously. Well, Mm -hmm. I found an article that came out um, last week that was talking about Valve was supposedly putting together their own console. They were going to call the Steam Box. Now, the interesting thing about this is... Anybody out there listening to this that knows what a Roku is or knows what an Apple TV is, it's the idea that instead of you buying movies and bringing them home and playing them in your DVD player, you have a small device that sets in front of your TV and it streams down all of your movies from Netflix or from Hulu or Amazon. The Steam Box had the ability to basically do almost the same thing. The idea would be you wouldn't buy an actual game for your Xbox 360, bring it home, put it into the uh, the DVD drive and play the game. You would go on Steam, and you would buy your games from Steam. They would download onto this type of console, this box you have by your TV, and you would be able to go ahead and play your games there. And a lot of people were saying this would have been revolutionary because we don't have this yet. Yes, Xbox Live has their their arcade where you can go and get Xbox games. And PlayStation Network, when it's actually running, uh, (laughs) you can go ahead and download stuff from them. But this would have been, I almost call it an open source, because Valve does just not sell their games. They sell a lot of people's games on on the Valve uh, Steam Network, basically. And so this would have been a very awesome thing to have. It was going to be able to hook up to a big screen TV. Uh, It was basically going to have, they were saying in a report, it was going to have an i7 CPU, 8 gigs of RAM, an NVIDIA graphics card, and the ability to play any PC game. I mean, suddenly I could play any PC-based game, like the Deus Ex game that came out recently. Uh I could play it on my TV, maybe with an actual controller and not a keyboard. And that's pretty awesome. Now, <laughs> tell me of your follow-up story, Josh. Okay, to follow up that. Valve nukes Steambox reports. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, don't expect any hardware or hardware partnerships to come from Valve anytime soon. Uh, basically, this news, these rumors had broke through saying Steambox, Steambox, Steambox. I was really interested. I was like, when's the pre-order? Because I was totally all about that because I'd like to get back into PC gaming. And now they just kind of shut it down and said, nope, uh, we build these boxes like this quite often to test out uh, their test out how their games and stuff are running. And the exact things that you were saying, there was a tweet uh, of a hand-built prototype that you were um, this guy tweeted, and it was the Intel i7 CPU, 8 gigabytes of RAM, right. uh, NVIDIA, all that stuff. They had a picture of it. And it just went off from there and just went off into the Steam box, all this stuff. Um, but they've come out and said that they're working on the Steam Big Picture Mode UI. So um, basically, um, he said that they do build their own boxes to test the new... Their, they are building new boxes, sorry, to test their new Steam interface. But that's about it. 
So that's not, for internal use only. For internal use only. And the, the did I hear um, after my my hopes and dreams were squashed? Did I hear <laughs> that the the big picture mode was because more and more people are deciding to buy HD TVs and not so. use their monitors? Yeah. It, what? It, well, let me see. Yeah. What they're saying is the idea that they can take the Steam, their mm-hmm. Steam whole their whole platform basically, right, and display it on anything. Right. And so that's the big picture mode is, um, and w- they're, they've come out and they've said, here's the box that they were going to use for testing um, that's coming with big picture mode and get performance at a base level. Um, and they're saying going back all the way to Half-Life 1 days, we built special boxes to test our, our software render, and it's just a part of development. And hmm. so what one person tweeted turned it, excuse me, turned into a whole story of just, you know, everything. So, okay. which well, it really stinks because I was really. Yeah, I mean that. I had several I, students that were like, "Oh, I just see about the steam box." I just suddenly thought. I mean, it, it made so much sense when I heard that. I was like, "That's totally what a Roku or an Apple TV device already does, except it would be for games, and that was going to be pretty awesome." But that's unfortunate that you can't do it. Okay, well, I have one last story to cap us off before we get to our interview today, and that is. I'm going to be out of a lot of money. I just know it because uh, the iPad came out, and I don't know. I might actually buy an iPad. Another toy that I've been dreaming about finally coming out was announced uh, back on March 2nd, and I'm just now getting a chance to talk about it. Canon announces that they're releasing an EOS 5D Mark III. Now, anybody who's not a camera person, eh, you, you probably don't care about this. But I am a big, big camera nut. And I'm a Canon person as well. Canon released a camera previously called the EOS 5 that ended up being a full-frame digital SLR. Now, a full-frame digital SLR, what does that mean? Are there ones that aren't full-frame? Yeah, a lot of them you buy out there. If you buy a digital Rebel or one of their versions of the Rebel, even if you buy a 20, I got a 20D, but now these days you'd be buying like a 7D. They're not full frame. They don't take full advantage of your full lens. So this is more of a prosumer, almost professional end camera that you'd have. And the last time Canon released a version of this was 2008. And when they released the version in 2008, it was revolutionary for the fact that this was the first time in an SLR, a digital SLR, that anybody had decided to put in the ability for you to capture HD video. I don't even think anybody had had the ability for you to capture video. Now, yes, the point-and-shoot cameras you could have bought previously had video functions, but they weren't SLRs. SLRs means I can take one lens off, put a different lens on. SLR stands for Single Lens Reflex, which means when I look through my viewfinder, I'm looking out the exact same lens that in just a moment when I press down the shutter, I'll be taking a picture through that same exact lens. So what I see is truly what I get. Unlike those old dinky cameras you used to buy where the viewfinder was way above the lens and you'd cut off people's heads all the time when you took pictures. Why am I so excited about this? Well, originally I was excited when when Canon released the 5D Mark II because I always wanted a combination professional digital camera and professional camcorder all in one. And when they released the Mark II, it looked really, really nice and it had a lot of features. But I'm always a person that tries to wait till version 2 for them to work out the bugs. 
So they've just announced this, and they're saying it's going to be released by the end of March. So March really might be a large hit to my wallet here with the iPad and with this. Uh, to give you an idea, yes, it still still allows you to change lenses. Uh, the megapixels have gotten a little bit bigger, and I'll just tell you, people, megapixels megapixels doesn't mean a lot. What really means a lot is how big is your sensor, um, because you can find cameras out there that have 50, 80 megapixels. They make these crazy cameras that supposedly have 80 megapixels. When they cram all these little pixels side by side, they get very, very hot when you take a picture, and they make your picture very, very grainy as well. So megapixel is not the end-all, be-all of everything. But this is using a 22 megapixel sensor they have. Really the biggest thing that I like about this is that they've improved the body. Uh, the body is more weather resistant and dust resistant. But also they've enhanced the video side. And like I say, I'm a bit of a video nut myself as well as a, a camera nut. Um, but in the original version they came out with, the 5D Mark II, the first one that had video, it didn't have a lot. To give you an example, you could have done 1080 video at 30 frames a second or 640 by 480 which is like VCR quality at 30 frames a second. Those were your only options, either 1080 or mm -hmm. 480. Now in the newer system that we have, we have a lot more customization. Um, I can still do my 1080 which is 1920 by 1080 nice HD TV quality I can do it 30 frames a second 25 frames a second which is PAL compliance for everybody else in the world besides us NTSC people I can do 24 frames a second so I can go ahead and do the recording the same way a movie in a movie theater plays if I go down to 720p which is 1280 by 720 what I'm really excited about is you can do 60 frames a second if you ever watch a movie where they do slow motion, someone's running away from a building and the building's about ready to explode, and as they dive, the building explodes, they didn't record that and slow down the, the, the picture. What they normally do is they record them fully running at normal speed, and they record it at 60 frames a second because you're getting two frames for every single normal one frame you'd have. So when you stretch that out and elongate it, what would have been a three-second clip of someone running and diving for cover now becomes a six-second clip. And so I like the creative aspect that having 60 frames a second would allow in a digital camera. This is not monumental. It's not like this is the first camera who's ever done 60 frames a second. Yep. But to have it all built into a nice SLR that's already a full-frame SLR, that's already a high-end Canon camera, is nice to have out of the gate. So um, I'm very excited, and, and now I'm really torn as to what I want to buy. Because <laughs> the neat thing for this is if you're a wedding photographer or even you shoot uh, senior pictures for high schoolers, you'd have the ability to be a videographer. Or, woo, you'd have the ability to be a videographer as well as a photographer all at the same time. And so especially on weddings, that could be very, very helpful for behind-the-scenes videos that you could go ahead and sell to your clients and make more money and be capturing all those scenes that you have at the same time. So, I don't know. I'm just going to lose all my money this, this month, Josh. I'm going <laughs> to be in the hole really bad. Because this, this camera here, um, just like with the iPad, for example, on the iPad, we forgot to mention, they still have the iPad 2 out. Mm -hmm. they're using, they still have the 16 gig out. They've lowered the price by 100 bucks, So it's even more affordable for someone to get an iPad now 
uh, albeit the last year's model. Um, even though the iPad prices didn't change, they kept the same pricing scheme. Same is not true for Canon. Um, the original 5D Mark II with a body only, which means it's just the camera body without a lens, uh, originally started at $2,900. It's now down at this point to about $2,250. So I could get one for about $2,200. Although the brand new one that's been announced, if you got buy it body only, you're looking somewhere in the area of $3,500. Wow. If I get a lens with it, <laughs> add another $1,000. They, they have a nice L-series lens. That's like $4,500. So if I'd had to spend like $4,500 on a new camera and about $800 on a brand new 64-gig mm. iPad, that's mm. that's a lot of money for yeah. me to lose in an entire year. <laughs> I mean, let alone an entire month. month. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, wow. I don't know, but I, I sure do love <laughs> investigating these toys, though. Oh, yeah. I love reading all about them. It's, it's, it's great fun. Expensive toys. Very expensive toys, <laughs> yeah. Boys and their toys. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're right about that because <laughs> they just get more and more expensive the older and older I get. So that's all of our articles we have for you today. Um, today we have an interview with uh, Kim Priest, so let's go ahead and get into that interview so you all can hear about our web developer option that we have and all the classes that go with it. Today I'm sitting here with Associate Professor Kim Priest, who is over our web developers option. And we're going to talk today about uh, what's entailed in the web development option, as well as the particular classes that she teaches uh, exclusively here at Mount West. Hello, Kim. Hello, Patrick. So let's get into uh, what exactly would the web developer option give a potential student um, for employable skills, basically. Uh, the web development option would prepare a student to become a web designer, or web developer, or even uh, be database support. Mm -hmm. okay. They would uh, typically work for a specialized company that specializes in web development, or also some companies have, uh, they develop their web uh, pages, their website in-house. Okay, okay. And technically, I guess they could also be a, uh, a third party person because with the web right. you you can work out of your own house if you want because there's no there's no physical need for you to be on site with somebody that is correct so you can have your own business on the side so let's get into some of the classes that that we that are specialized to to actually allow someone to get those employable skills that we're talking about with all of our options we always have some general education classes so we're not really going to hit up on those because you always have to have a math and an English. And so those are those are generically based. But there are some certain there's special classes that pertain especially to the web option that we offer. And I just want to remind everybody that uh, if when you're hearing this, if you have an interest in this particular option, you can actually go to our website at mctc.edu. And at, at this point, they are redesigning the site. But... On the current site, at the top of the screen, there's an option for programs of study. If you go up there, there's a link for the associate two-year degrees that we have, and you would see under the information technology area, you would see an option we have for the web development option. So you can follow along with this. And also keep in mind that we're recording this in the spring of 2012, and if you're listening to this in 2017, our options have definitely changed because with IT, we always have to stay fresh and current. So classes may have been switched out, but it will at least give you a pretty general idea 
about the skills that you're going to be learning here. So the first semester, um, most of our students end up taking an IT 101 course, right. which that's a, a course that gives them Word, Excel, or PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you also offer them the ability that they already learned that maybe in high school, they can move on up and take a 102 class. If you would just touch on maybe the, the, the programs instead of Word, Excel, PowerPoint, just what are the programs in that one? Mm-hmm. Um, the IT 102 two courses, the advanced applications, and in that course, students will cover uh, the other Microsoft programs such as Access, Visio, and Project in okay. the class. Okay, and we're, we'll get into that one a little bit later because you actually teach that one more in depth, but that just gives people uh, a bit of a preview to what that is. And so besides either the 101 or 102, their first semester, they get started immediately into the web option. Uh, with the 107 class, the fundamentals of the internet, correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that kind of gives them um, a small taste of the history of the internet, and and that class does culminate in the making of a of a simplistic website. Is that correct? Uh-huh. At the end of the semester, the last five weeks or so, we work on a, a small web web page in that class, and uh, typically we, well, the last semester we've used a Google site to okay. develop that page. Okay. And then from that semester, are the only two IT classes we really focus on the first semester would be the 101, 102, or the 107? And also the IT 110, the web graphics. Okay, the IT 110, mm-hmm. which is the uh, computer skills for uh, developers, mm-hmm. which we'll be having an interview shortly with uh, Annalisha Johnson, uh, the person who actually teaches that class, and, and we'll delve more into it. But just to kind of give you an idea or a preview of it, it's a class that, whereas the 101 class focuses on productivity programs, such as Word, Excel, and PowerPoint, in the IT 110 class, it focuses on more programs for developers and designers, basically the Adobe suite mm-hmm. of uh, Adobe Dreamweaver, Adobe Photoshop, uh, Adobe InDesign, and Adobe Illustrator. So it kind of gives them a, a brief overview of each of those in an introduction, which is helpful because in your option, you're going to be doing web, mm-hmm. and if they get to touch and play with Dreamweaver a bit, that's right. going to be helpful once mm-hmm. they move up to the higher level. Right. It's a great survey class of the Adobe uh, different options. So in the first semester, they, they do get to play with some um, entry level or, for them, I guess, somewhat emerging for them on their skills, uh, development of a, of a small website, and they get to play with Dreamweaver. The second semester, we move them into a, a full HTML side of things with mm-hmm. your IT212 class. Right. It's a full semester HTML class, and we use Dreamweaver. We use both uh, code view and also the design view in that okay. class. And then in that class, you're, you're doing, so you have 16 weeks at that point of HTML, but you're also covering a little bit of cascading style sheets as well for the design right. aspect. For right, for all the um, appearance stuff, formatting, mm-hmm. we use uh, cascading style sheets okay. to create that effect. So what else in the second semester IT-wise are we, are we having them do? Uh, they also take an IT-250 class, mm-hmm. which is the uh, database class okay. that second semester. Yeah, the applications of the database class right now uh, is focusing on uh, MySQL or MySQL, depending on how people want to actually uh, state it. So we'll, we'll be delving more into that later, but it's, it is very important to make sure that that the students have some foundation of what a database is because I can't think of many websites out there that are popular, that are large, that don't have to have some repository of information. Facebook, um, MySpace, 
um, I mean, e- even search mm-hmm. engines, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where are they saving that information? They're saving it in a database of some sort. So all having that e-commerce. Film, all oh, e- yeah. Yeah, e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that stuff. They have to save it somewhere as opposed to going to someone's website that, that just says, hello, my name is Patrick and mm-hmm. has all their, their hobbies and stuff. I get there's no database there. But for business side, it's it's imperative. It's 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 uh, important. Absolutely. Um, and so after the two hundred and fifty, as well as the two hundred and twelve class in that semester, are there any other IT classes we focus on in the second semester? Um, and the that would be all. There's a networking class just to get mm-hmm. some fundamentals of networking that we add in there to get a good base of how. Uh, the network works mm-hmm. as well that and second semester and that's the um the class one of the classes that, that was taught by jack loker mm-hmm. so introduction um, to networking mm-hmm. introduction mm-hmm. to networking gives a student kind of a, a well-rounded feel for that because it's important if you're going to be a web developer that you need to know how to use a computer you need to build to at least maybe set up your own home network especially if you're working from home um, so we, we put those skills in there helpful not specific per se to the actual web option but it's still a nice foundation mm-hmm. to build off of. And the third semester, which would be the uh, the fall of the second year, uh, what classes do we focus on with the web option there? We had four IT classes that semester. We mm-hmm. have a, a programming class right now. It's Visual Basic. Mm-hmm. And then we also have an IT 171, which mm-hmm. is the first gaming class. Okay. And then also we have an IT 213, which is the web graphics. That's mm-hmm. Uh, Photoshop, and yeah. then also we have a project management system that's IT two seventy seven. Yeah, the IT two seventy seven, the management information systems class, is actually the one um, that we spoke to Dr. Randall Jones about last episode. So if you want some some extreme detail and and uh, thorough understanding of what's in that class, you could go back and listen to our our last interview uh, with Dr. Randall Jones. So the two seventy seven class is in this option. You mentioned the 213 class. That's mm-hmm. also another class along with the 110 that's taught by uh, Annalisa Johnson. And so I'll be talking to her about that. But it is a, a Photoshop-related course because uh, on the web, it's so great that you have text everywhere, but you need to have pictures and you need to have design skills to liven it up so people actually want to read and, and, and visit and stay at your website wherever you are. Exactly. And you've incorporated in the uh, the Gaming One course, which is is taught by Josh Joseph. Uh, that's helpful because the students get exposed to Flash. Right. And, and these days, everything is not HTML or HTML5 based or Cascade style sheets. There's a lot of different technologies on the Internet. And exposing them to at least know how to create some Flash, uh, Flash mm-hmm. applications and animations is very, very helpful on the website and so um and what was let's see you mentioned 213 um 277 and um also the visual basic class all the the visual basic just Mm -hmm. to have have some programming yeah with visual basic you have the ability to make um asp.net applications so if they get some sort of of groundwork inside of a visual basic and visual studio if they choose to go the route of microsoft's asp they could utilize that uh, exactly. for doing their web pages. Mm-hmm. Gives them a good overview for future classes too, with regard to programming and loops and do whiles and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's not all new later. That's true, especially in uh, the PHP class, which actually leads us into the fourth semester. Correct the right. uh, 
IT224 Emerging Web Technologies course is the PHP course. Right. Right. It's a full semester with PHP. Right now we're using the WAMP server for that. Um, it's, a, it's a good course. It's, um, we do a lot of PHP at the beginning, and then toward the end we kind of incorporate that into a uh, database side of that. Okay. And so in the fourth semester you have the 242 classes, um, and I, I know you're bound to have the IT299, the internship class right. that we spoke to Rhonda Scragg about um, in a previous episode, besides those two classes, are there any additional IT classes we have uh, in the we, final semester? Yes, the, we also have the Fundamentals of Network Security class uh, the yes. last semester. That's very important, especially with web design as it relates to uh, server-side applications that they'll encounter. Yeah, because one, one of the biggest things that always comes up in my Microsoft classes is the most insecure piece of software you can ever install on a microsoft machine is typically iis the web mm-hmm. server and it's 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 not because there's more bugs in it than anything but it's the front line that the hackers can hit first right. they, they can always hit your web page because mm-hmm. if you want it to be public it's a double-edged sword right. you want it to be public so the good people can see it but mm-hmm. unfortunately it's also public it's gateway yeah mm-hmm. it's also public for the for the hackers to be able to get to so having that class is is very helpful to make sure that that a student has a thorough understanding of what they need to make sure they try to prevent mm-hmm. inside of that. Now, as we mentioned, you actually teach a lot of these classes, so I'd like to delve a little bit deeper into each class just to get more of, a, of an explanation of what goes on. Uh, I suppose starting with the IT 102 class, which is, as we said, uh, an alternative for students who've already taken something like a Word, Excel, PowerPoint class, if they want to go even higher with more advanced skills. Uh, so if you would talk a little bit about the programs and the applications they get to delve more into in that mm-hmm. one. Uh, and IT102, uh, we talk first, uh, it's a new class that we're offering. Uh, first we talk about Microsoft Access, and sometimes it's students' first exposure to a database class. So it's a new um, environment for them to be in. It's a good gateway for them also when they take the database class to have under that, that way they can understand a database and tables and uh, records. It's not all new concepts for mm-hmm. them. Definitely good to already have some initial definitions. So when you walk in the first day to your MySQL class, they're not like, I don't know what a record is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then we also, we spend probably, I would think, most of the semester, well, not most, but maybe a little larger part as far as mm-hmm. the thirds in Visio, Microsoft Visio. It's a great application. It's um, it's a diagramming tool that you can mm-hmm. use to diagram technical information. Now, the great thing about Visio is, is it really applies across the board because in Jack's uh, Cisco networking classes, he would want his students to be able to make network diagrams right. that could be used as blueprints. Mm-hmm. And in, we cover that in that mm-hmm. class, in as your, well as flow, flow charting for the programming right, classes. Right, flow charting for the programming. I would want something like mm-hmm. that to, for someone to be able to create maybe an active directory hierarchy, mm-hmm. and you would definitely want that as well going back to the database side right. to be able to make an, uh, an entity relational data diagram right. that mm-hmm. shows shows the ERD of your entire schema of a database. So that's exactly. a very important mm-hmm. skill to that, have. In fact, that's our first assignment that we do is when we leave access, we create that same database schema mm-hmm. in uh, Visio. Okay. 
And then also, um, you do cover slightly in there the project program a little bit uh, to get them familiar with that right. as well, correct? Right. It's just it's a good program to kind of schedule out a project and also to see where you are in your project. Yeah, um, I think I think one of the biggest problems that that kind of sometimes gets left out for our students is the instilling of pre-planning. Right. Or mm-hmm. you can say all day in a class, you really mm-hmm. should make documents. You should document mm-hmm. all your stuff. But putting that into into the action and the words is a lot harder to do right. on paper. And so project does force them to see a timeline mm-hmm. of everything that's coming before. Mm-hmm. And with Visio and project, you know, it's really hard for the students to see the need for documentation. And, and also so that if somebody else works on their project that they can go back and kind of look at that and pick up quickly. Yeah, and I think that's going to help them, too, prepare for some sort of team building exercise because when they leave here, they are not going to be the single island in the stream. They're going to be working for a larger company, and they will have to be put on teams, Mm -hmm. and everybody's going to be on the same page. Right. So having those skills to create uh, documents that convey to other people on their team what's going on, what the timelines are, and making sure they get things done on time will be very, very important for them. Exactly. So I think the 102 class is a wonderful class. And if, if people have already gone ahead and done the 101, they should look at go ahead and uh, and do the 102 instead if they already have those previous skills. Mm-hmm. Now, moving up from there, uh, you also teach uh, the first web class, the introduction to uh, Internet, which is 107 as well. Right. Uh, would you delve a little bit more into that and talk about what's involved in that? Yeah. We start off with a little history and some uh, common protocols that are used, such as TCP IP, and uh, we talk about some advanced email and search engine techniques that can be used. Um, talk about a lot of uh, current technologies that are like in the news at the time, like this semester we talked a little bit about uh, SOPA and PIPA when it was uh, uh, being considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, also talk a lot about security issues in that class as well as it relates to the individual, such as uh, Facebook and Twitter and privacy issues and spyware and viruses and well, identity theft. I know in that class, too, you, um, you, you're always trying to hit upon the ethics, the right. ethical side of it as well. Right. To, the Should you use your boyfriend or girlfriend's Facebook yeah. page or, or <laughs> should you post something? What, exactly. what are the legal ramifications, that right. type of thing? Or should right. you download illegal music, that type of thing? Yes, that was a very interesting uh, conversation with students and also um, just their opinion. It was funny because they would oftentimes recognize that it was illegal and maybe an issue but also at the same time recognize that they did download music as well so. right right so they they know it's wrong but they went ahead and did it anyway <laughs> right. yeah so the 107 kind of gives people a feel the same way that uh, an it 101 would give someone a feel of how to use um Productivity applications. Mm-hmm. The 107 kind of gives them a nice overview of the internet in general. Right. Things they may not have used themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, FTP, IRC, those different things. They're exposed to a lot more. Right. And as we said, it culminates with them creating uh, a small web page there. Mm-hmm. Not really diving too much into the mm-hmm. code, but at least forming the beginnings of what a web page should right. look like. And we and we look at various multimedia formats in there and the advantages and disadvantages of various types of file formats that you might use on your website. Okay. 
And then from there, from the 107, um, the next class I think you would teach would actually be the 212 class. Is that right. correct? The right. IT 107 is a prerequisite for the 212, the web development class. Okay. And so that class is uh, is predominantly a cascading style sheet and HTML class? Exactly. We use, um, we kind of go back and forth. It's typically a night class, and we kind of go back and forth between using HTML one week and CSS, typing in the code, and then we also look at the design view and using Dreamweaver to manage that site. So it's a it's a good kind of mix. You know, we can use Dreamweaver when it makes it convenient, such as tables, but then we also want to look at the code to see what's actually being inserted into our HTML files. Yeah, I have to think that, I mean, anytime I, anytime I work with PHP, because I'm a pretty big PHP and MySQL nut, I, I never take the time to uh, go ahead and create myself my layers or create myself mm-hmm. my forms. I typically let it create them, but then I go back under the hood and, and tweak what I need. Right, you're able so, to customize when you need to. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm okay to be lazy enough to allow it to make a new <laughs> input text file. Right. Right. But as soon as it mm-hmm. makes a new input uh, text field, I'll go in and, and change around what I need to change. Mm-hmm. So that way I don't have to do all the work by hand. So Right. And the code view is excellent, I think, in Dreamweaver mm-hmm. in that it's color-coded. So as you're typing, it will provide suggestions. And mm-hmm. also it's color-coded. So if you type a mistake, you know, you can quickly see that you forgot to close a tag. Yeah, because you can see there. Well, why didn't that turn blue, or why did why mm-hmm. is, why is the rest green, of my text yeah. still green mm-hmm. because it's still a, it's still a string that type of thing. Exactly, and we kind of start with forms at the end of that class, and it's very project based. Mm-hmm. So that kind of is nice to go ahead and uh, cover forms, and you know that will lead into the database class as well. Okay. Well, so in two twelve, it's mainly a static web development course, right? And then that kind of leads into the more advanced web course, which would be the two forty two, which is the dynamic side. And for two forty two, we're currently doing PHP. Right. So if you would talk a bit about where they then go from the HTML and cascading style sheets and forms up into PHP mm-hmm. with two forty two's emerging web technologies. Well, with 2.42, you know, we use PHP, and that provides some, PHP is a scripting language that then we can embed into the HTML, and then eventually that way we can create dynamic content for our websites. Um, and oftentimes, you know, this content at the, toward the end of class, you know, we actually save that into a database. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning, we use a lot of forms where we ask for, username, password type things. Mm-hmm. And then toward the end, we start saving those into a database, which cool. is very important in like e-commerce sites. Mm-hmm. Well, I know if anybody out there that has no idea what PHP is or what we're talking about, it, fundamentally in the first couple weeks of the class, we could kind of create a, a Mad Lib style website where it says, you know, hello, my name is blank. Or mm-hmm. or you ask, what is your name? And you ask all these questions on, on an mm-hmm. HTML form. When they hit submit, you then use the variables you submitted to populate the other side. And so that's very, it's a very flat way mm-hmm. of doing things because that data is not saved anywhere. Right, it's but, just being passed from Yeah, one but what, what you're another. saying, though, is, is at the end, you start to incorporate in the PHP or the uh, MySQL side, the database side. Exactly. So you start to really bring the power out mm-hmm. in PHP because right. uh, Facebook, even now, still runs on PHP, mm-hmm. and they have to have a giant database on the back end to do it. Mm-hmm. So we'll you pop- start... 
exactly. Mm-hmm. Like we'll populate like a list of users based upon the data that's in a database, like that's that's contained into a field. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we also do uh, some exercises where based upon their username and password, they see uh, different content based upon their access uh, okay. into the database. Now, that 242 class kind of has a, a complementary class because since you do so much PHP and you end with some database, you do kind of the opposite in the IT250 class, the applications, the database class, correct? Exactly. They kind of meet in the middle. Uh, in IT250, it's a database class. We use, again, the WAMP server that's used in IT242. Mm-hmm. We use uh, MySQL, which is a popular database that's often used in web applications. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's open source, so it's free to the student, exactly, too. Exactly, right. And so students can download that at home and and go through the exercises as well there. Um, we start with some basic uh, relational databases mm-hmm. with multiple tables mm-hmm. and uh, learn how to do joins and different types of advanced queries. Mm-hmm. And then you also take the the Visio skills. In case people haven't already had Visio in the 102, right. they definitely get it here because you do have them create an ERD, an entity relational diagram, for the schema of their database. Exactly, and that way they can kind of visualize. Uh, they can see how tables are related. They can quickly see if something is uh, required, if it's in bold, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can also see the primary keys and the foreign keys as it relates to other tables. Okay, and then at the end of that, they do get a little bit of PHP in that right. as well. Uh-huh. Just at like the very in, end. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Just like at the end of the PHP, they got a little bit of a little bit of database. So right. they kind of kind of dovetail into one another exactly uh, and complement each other uh, well there so um the 107 the 212 the 250 the 242 the 102 am i missing any classes uh we also have the two you know gaming classes we also have we talked earlier about Mm -hmm. the first gaming class but we also incorporate the second gaming class it's a you know it's nice for students to have a nice broad range of programming Mm -hmm. skills that they can use because depending on where they get employed you you know, they may be required to use different software tools. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, based on everything we've talked about here, your students get exposed to um, to Visio, which is going to be helpful. They get exposed to Access as, as a database option. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get really exposed to MySQL or MySQL as a database option. They get the HTML, the Cascading Style Sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, the Adobe in, products. Yeah, mm-hmm. in, the, in the two... In the 213 and the 110, well, the 110, they get exposed to all of them, but they definitely get exposed to the two in 213 to the Photoshop to go ahead and make the rollover effects. They're different, they're different images they need to be able to bring in. If they want to do Flash, they go mm-hmm. ahead and bring that in from the gaming classes. So our, our biggest problem we have is that we only have two years to get the students out there, and there is so much stuff out in the web that people could be working with mm-hmm. and we had to changes so quickly changes so quickly so really we're just trying to give uh the students an excellent toolbox of tools to go ahead and then go out into the world and continue to learn because we've said it before in the classes or in, in the the podcast but josh and i have said that uh we're not math people we are it people so you better be ready to keep on being a lifetime mm-hmm. learner because it, it's it's not like there's 200-year-old uh, theorems and postulates that we just continue to use. Everything changes quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to go ahead and, and give uh, foundational stuff as well as uh, leading-edge technologies as well to get people prepared to make them employed as soon as they leave. So uh, 
Thank you very much, Kim, for uh, talking to us today about your classes and your uh, web development option. Thanks for having me, and feel free to send me an email or contact me anytime for more information. Okay, your your email is? Uh, Preece, P-R-E-E-C-E, at Mount West or mctc.edu. Yeah, we don't we don't <laughs> we don't have Mount West yet, but yeah, you're priest at mctc.edu. That's right. Thanks. Thank you. So I hope the interview with Kim Priest um, enlightened you all. If anybody out there is thinking about becoming a web developer, to the ideas or the different areas and technologies you're going to want to learn about. There's an awful lot of technology out there that we have out in the world that's all web-based, all kinds of different disparaging formats that you need to learn. And so uh, I hope it helped. Um, As usual, I want to remind you all that we have a Twitter account, which is TalkOnTechMCTC. We post all the articles that we go over on that Twitter account, and we invite you to go ahead and follow us and also send us any feedback you have there, any questions, any topics you'd like for us to talk about. Um, But as I said earlier in the podcast, we will be taking next week off, which will be the the week basically of the 19th. We'll be taking that off for spring break, but hopefully we'll be sending out episode 8 the following week. But until then, I am Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. Have a good two weeks.